There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Welcome, fight fans. It's time for round two of the Fight City podcast. Yes, that's correct. We have your second podcast of the week. This one being a special edition featuring a very special guest. As we have the son of Boxing Hall of Fame referee, Arthur Mercanti Sr. with us, the veteran in his own right, Arthur Mercanti Jr., veteran of 34 years, began boxing in 1984 and was so, so kind to thefightcity.com by coming on the show and sharing his infinite wisdom of the fight game. Here you have Arthur Mercanti Jr. in a few short moments. Stay tuned. A little story I have about the time where me and my dad met your dad at the Hall of Fame and go to New York. And it's probably one of uh, the most embarrassing moments I've ever had meeting a boxing celebrity. So we go up to him and we say, unknowingly, what was the biggest fight you've ever officiated? And he goes, Ollie Fraser won. And we... <laughs> We uh we both kind of just stood there thinking we just asked the dumbest question in the world. This guy officiated the greatest fight, biggest fight in boxing history at that point, and we just asked him what the biggest fight he officiated was. So, <laughs> what is the biggest fight you ever officiated? Uh, I gotta say, back in 1999, when I got appointed to uh, referee Lennox Lewis of Vanda Holyfield. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, so that was fight one. Is that correct? That was the first one, yes. The first one at Madison Square Garden. The second one they had it was in Vegas. Yeah. Sure, they had better judges there too. But. <laughs> you know what? It, 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 you know, back then, you know, it's these uh, like I always say, these sanctioning bodies. It's kind of killing the sport. I mean, I mean, here in New York, you know, the WBC came in and they uh, they want their own referee, which at that time my father was very loyal to the WBC. Yeah. He was with the, affiliated with the WBC for probably 30, 40 years. I stand to be corrected, but probably that long. And they came in and they said, listen, we want Mercanti Sr. or another referee who was loyal to the WBC. At that time, I was with the WBC. I stayed with them for a few years. Uh, but they, the commission here said, listen, we are picking our referee. And my father at the time was, I guess, 79, 80 at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, the New York State Athletic Commission said, we are picking McCant Jr. You could appoint your three judges. Well, that's what they did. They had their three judges, which was one was Stanley Christodoulo. The other one was uh, Eugenia Williams. And then there was another fellow from London. I forgot his name. I think it was Larry O'Donnell. I think you might be, yeah, O'Donnell, were you going to say? Oh, yeah, I think so. 
Well, that's when the the next they had two those two. Stanley Christodoulou was the only one that had Lennox Lewis winning. The other two had it a draw. So I don't know if you recall uh, at the time. Well, how old are you? I am 24. Uh, I wasn't quite a boxing fan at that point. I think I was only five years old. Yeah. Uh, okay. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I read up about the event, the travesty, and what have you. Rudy Giuliani's uh, investigation on the sport. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's what it was. Yes, because. That's what I was getting at. You were a young man. You would you wouldn't remember. They had a, a big hearing, and uh, the judges were the the two judges were there. The uh, no, let me see. Chris Dula left for South Africa. Larry O'Connell left for London. Eugenia Williams was the only one that was there, and myself. They had a panel, and they had TV cameras and everything, and they brought Eugenia Williams up, and they said to her. In the fifth round, where Lennox Lewis dominated, she gave the round to Evander Holyfield. Yeah. And at that time, they said, well, what made you do that? She kind of blamed. She said, well, a referee was in my way. And there was, an <laughs> old, there was an older fellow there, God rest his soul, a fellow by the name of Joe DeWire. He said, Arthur, sit tight, watch how this, just sit tight and watch. Now the TV cameras came up, and... They say, well, we don't see the referee in this round. Where, well, one of the rounds he got in my way. <laughs> I was like, I don't believe what I'm hearing. He says, Arthur, you're going to get your turn. So, okay, with with that, say, okay, you're dismissed. Oh, she's dismissed. It was my turn next. And I said, as all you gentlemen on the panel here know, you, there was a couple of senators in there. My father has judged and, and refereed some of the greatest fights and I don't think that he's ever scored a bad fight. I'm second generation, as you all know that. Why don't we do this? If you get a, a situation like this where it's a draw, have the referee score the fight and let him be the deciding factor if we ever get into a situation like this. They all said, great idea, good idea. Well, as you know to this day, the referee still does not score the fight. And we've had... Some bad decisions, tough decisions. I'm not saying, but what they could do is have the referee. If you get a draw, like we've had some fights that are draws, let's see how the referee scores the fight. The referee score could be the deciding factor. That mm-hmm. would that would play a, a big part. But with that, you know, everybody knows what happened after that. Where they found out the woman had a couple of thousand dollars in her bank account the next day. <laughs> so. We don't know, you know, what was going on there, who had what and to do, but that's why in New York State here and a lot of states now don't let these sanctioning bodies pick people because be affiliated with these sanctioning bodies, bodies you realize as a referee, you got to go to seminars, you got to go to conventions, you got to, like with my job, they want me to go to Vegas, they want me to go to, uh, Hawaii. I went to one convention in Hawaii. I was with the WBC for seven years, and I yeah. never, I never received any assignments. The only assignments I received were the ones that were here in New York State, because the commissioner here stuck to their ground and said, "We are appointing the referee. Sanctioning body can pick their judges." That I mean, it's 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 it, 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 it's a tough call today with all these sanctioning bodies. 
and they want you to go to all these seminars and conventions. And if you can't, like a fellow like me who can't do that, tough call because you missed out on some of these big fights if they get to pick the referee. Yeah. So in my way, it's good here in New York and in, in Connecticut and certain states where they don't allow anybody to pick anybody. The state does it, and that's what it should come down to. The quality of the referee, the quality of the judge, not because they go to these sanctioning box conventions. And yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, now you mentioned a very interesting point about the referee possibly uh, getting getting a ballot when it comes to an even fight. Uh, in your job as a referee, do you think, given all the other um, aspects of the fight that you have to account for? that you would be able to give a cogent analysis and assessment of who won the fight with all the other things you have to work on? Well, listen, my, my, as you know, my father refereed seven decades, and he he did it up, to, uh, I think, the last time, I don't know the date exactly, he scored a fight, and maybe the last time they had it, I think, oh, matter of fact, I think it might have been Ali Norton in Yankee Stadium. Oh, wow. Where well, that was 1976. I don't know when they took the play away from a referee, but it's just like this. My father always did this, and he always taught me. But I never had the opportunity. When I, matter of fact, when I turned pro in '84, the referees weren't judging fights then. Yeah, so it had to be from like '80. They may have stopped it in '83 from the referee scoring the fight. Well, my father always said, if you score a fight, or after you put, you go to your corner, you put who won the fight, and then you go check on each fighter. And I think that, I mean, they say the referee has a lot to do today. We did the same. They did the same back in my father's era, as we're doing now. I mean, after each round, you got to go check on the fighter, even if it's the, after the first round, because a lot has has to play with that today. But if you score, you go to your corner, if you would have scored the fight, if they make you score the fight, score the fight, and then go check on the fighters. That's true. Um, so I can't really argue with that assessment. I know some referees would do better than others at uh, being able to have a clear enough mind scoring fights, but better than like yourself, I, I, uh, I doubt you'd have any issue there. But... <clears throat> For some of your fans out there, some of uh, those who don't know your background a little better, could you um, could you give us your story of how you got started refereeing? Back in 1976, I was 17 years old. I entered the New York City Golden Gloves, and I met a fellow in the quarterfinals by the name of Juan Laporte. Mm. I felt I beat him. Floyd Patterson, God rest his soul, he was there, and a few other People were there, and they came over, and they said, if your names were Smith or Jones, son, you won that fight. <laughs> but I had my father, the last name, and Juan Laporte went on to beat me in the quarterfinals. We went three rounds, and he won on a decision. And then he went on to turn pro, and he became featherweight champ of the world. And I said to my father, I want to fight this fellow. I felt I beat him in the Golden Gloves. My father said, listen. You will not turn pro as, you, as long as you live under my roof. <laughs> How about becoming a referee? I said, okay, Dad, that sounds good. So in 1970, 70, 
nine, I entered the gloves one more time, had a few good fights, and then I uh, turned amateur uh, right after I had my Golden Gloves career in 79. Became an amateur referee and stayed in the amateurs from 1979 to 84. And then, like I mentioned earlier, my father said, you're ready to turn pro, and I turned, put in my application and became a professional referee in 1984. Hmm. So, do you? Uh, someone went up to me the other day and asked me an interesting question. They said, "Do you do you feel like the best referees out there have to have had some experience boxing?" So you clearly uh, have had quite a bit of experience as an amateur, almost beating Juan Laporte in the Golden Gloves. Do you agree, or do you feel like a good referee should have some level of experience boxing in the square circle? I'm not saying they have to have some experience boxing, but I think they should have some experience with amateur refereeing. At least I'm not telling guys like I did, spend five years in the amateurs. At least do a year or two in the amateurs and then if you're ready to turn pro, turn pro and be critiqued. And if they feel you're capable of doing certain fights, then you get appointed to fights. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> So as a referee, what what is your favorite part of the job? Be compassionate to the fighters and 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 uh, in a win win or lose situation, wherever it is, they'll show the the loser compassion and have a a heart for the kid. We're there to put, be protective and safe safety of the fight, most important thing. Definitely, I mean it definitely shows in your fights when when. Uh, we can see you during fights being very compassionate to fighters, making sure that uh, treating them like fellow champions instead of just focusing on doing your job. Just that human aspect is something that really stands out in a lot of your fights. Uh, could you describe a situation in which you had to make a very tough call for the safe fighter? Well, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I had a fight back in... 19, no, must have been 2000. It was a rough fight here on the Intrepid. I'm sure you heard about it and read about it. It was a tough fight between a fellow of, uh, oh boy, I'm, the names of, uh, one fighter was Jones and another fighter was Beethoven, Scotland. Beethoven, Scotland was from Maryland. Jones, mm-hmm. Jones was, uh, a fellow fighter. I don't know if he, he didn't have a title at the time. But he was undefeated, and his opponent, this is what gets me a lot of times, the opponent he was supposed to fight backed out. Of mm-hmm. him. But they found his Beethoven, Scotland, local kid from was from Maryland, came through the Intrepid, and it was a tough fight. They were going, they were going toe-to-toe. It could have went either way. And in the, in the 10th round, they even said to the both, who wants it? Jones had the upper hand to get in the center of the ring, and he throws a left and a right. Beethoven Scotland goes down. I don't even count. I knew it. I went to take out his mouthpiece. I called the doctor in the ring in a sad state. We were on the Intrepid, and the EMTs came in and took him and took him to the hospital. And with that, I followed through right after I got done refereeing the last fight of the night, because that wasn't the last fight. There was one after that. I got done refereeing that fight and went to five different out to see where this kid was. Wow. 
wound up finding the hospital he was in. His whole camp was there, and I came in, and they saw that I was, I was a wreck. You know, like I said, I got compassion for these kids. I mean, even if I met the kid once, you know, I had compassion. And we all gathered around him and hovered and said a prayer. And this corner came up to me and said, listen, ref, it's not your fault. Don't be hard on yourself. And I, and I was, because the next, the two days later, I had enough fight to go do a title fight in Manchester, England. Yeah. And I said to my dad, I'm, I'm done, dad. I can't, I can't, I can't take this. He said, listen, it's not your fault. These kids risk, they know what they're getting to when they get in this ring. You don't know this kid could have been in, in a, a sparring session in the gym and he yeah. got, he got called in to fill in for a kid that was sick. He could have been hurt in the gym. So you, you go, you're going to go do that fight in Manchester and listening to my father who's been around for years. If he had a, he had a devastating fight, you go back, you, you, you like you said, you weren't born. Ignamar Johansson, Floyd Patterson. Yep. The second one with Floyd Patterson knocks Ignamar Johansson down. The foot shake the canvas, yep. Yeah. My father thought that he was dead. He said, look, Arthur, look what happened there. Yeah. I was, I was lucky that Johansson got up. You were in the same situation. It was the tenth round. The kid was in the fight. I mean, in the seventh round, McLean me. That's that's one thing I didn't know that they had mics all over that night uh, on the ship. It was on in the ESPN televised. And uh, I go over the corner of the seventh round and tell Scotland, "You better show me something, son, because I'm going to stop this fight." He said, "No, no, ref, I'm going to win this." He came out in the eighth and ninth round. And he won both rounds. All judges had him winning the eighth and ninth round. So that tenth round could was anybody's round. Yeah. Just so happens he got a left and a right combination, and he went down. But I went out to Man, Man took my father's advice, and went on to Manchester, England, and refereed a hell of a fight there. And I'm still in the business. But it's a, it, it is a tough sport. Everybody knows that. Hey, look, look at these football players. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, on any given day you, you get a, a headshot in the football. You can go down and get concussions like they all do. And it's it, it's every sport is rough. You know, it's uh, baseball the same way. Everything's based. If you take a statistic, which they did years ago, uh, I forgot my father mentioned to me, baseball was one of the most in, most injuries that an athlete gets is in a baseball game. Wow, that's very interesting because it seems like limited contact sport. Yep. But so um what what um what advice do you have to to referees like, like Tony Weeks who unfortunately ref the Jesus Chavez Levander Johnson fight and the referee of Cheryl McClellan's tragic fight. Uh what what would you tell them to help them move on from all the pain that they likely suffer from to this day? I would say, like I mentioned a little bit, you know, listen, these guys get in the ring. They know what they're doing. Look, Benji Estefez, who was a great referee here in New York, had the same kind of situation. It was two, uh, I think it was a Russian and another kid, and it was a brutal battle. Yeah. And I watched the fight on HBO, and I heard the kid come back to the corner. I can't feel my jaw. Well, this is what gets me with some cornermen. Yeah. I don't know if you heard that, but the cornerman said, you can do it. Come on, get out get out there. 
kid went out and lasted another 10 rounds, went toe-to-toe. With that, though, the doctor tossed him and told the kid to go to the hospital. From what I was being told, I don't know the whole story. And the kid refused to go. He sat and watched the main event. After that, he went cold there and collapsed in a coma. Oh, my gosh. So I said to Benji, I got a hold of Benji right away because we're local guys. He's a great referee. Benji, you're not to blame. I know the family wants to sue the referee right away. They want to sue the doctors. They want to go after everybody. You're not to blame, Benji. The kid, it, this is the sport he chose. And I said, get that tape. Just like I had a tape for me. That's what cleared me. ESPN had a tape. At that time, when that fight happened with me on the Intrepid, uh, he was a former police commissioner here in New York. He was in charge. He had investigated, come to my house. My brother was my brother was sitting here who was a lawyer. We sat and watched the tape. And even the fellow here who was doing the investigation said, this is what cleared you. You went, you showed compassion for the fight and went over to the seventh round. So there's no reason for your license to be revoked or taken away from you. Yeah. And the same thing that that fellow said to me, I kind of said to Benji. I said, Benji, you got to get this tape from HBO. You'll hear this kid go on a tell his corner he can't feel his jaw, and they still made him come out. That's what I was saying before. The cornerman plays a lot of roles. I'll never forget when Buddy McGirt told Arturo Gotti, you're done, son. You're not going out for the next round. There's a guy that loved his fight and cared for his fight. Angelo Dundee was the same way. But you get a lot of these guys today that you don't know what what's the next fight for the kid. He's got after this fight, if he beat this kid, he would have had a title fight made, and that that's where the money is. So you don't know what these fellows are thinking. But I told Ben, now Ben, Benji's gone on to still referee some great fights. It's 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 the sport they choose, just like I mentioned before. And a referee is not to blame. Tony Weeks takes it hard. I know there was one other referee, Mitch Halpern, that yeah. took, that took a fight real hard. Apparently, I don't know if that's true. They said that was one of the reasons. I don't know how true it is. It could have been a rumor that he took his own life. Yeah, I was always wondering that myself. You know, it's it, it's you know it's it, it, it's not the referee's not to blame. These kids look like I had the, the kid filled in. They told me Scotland filled in for a kid, and we don't know. It could have happened. It could have happened in the gym he was training, and he took a couple of headshots, taking a beating in the gym, and all of a sudden, boom. I got a chance to make $30,000, $40,000. I'm going to take this fight. It's, 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 it's a tough racket. No doubt about it. So with that being said, you being a 33-year veteran now, 34 yes. veteran, yes. Uh, what do you think when you see new referees these days, what do you think the biggest thing that these young referees can improve on? Well, you know, everybody I've seen here from, you know, in New York here in Vegas, everybody does a great job. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I can't criticize another referee because every, every referee I've seen has done good things. Look, I've had off days. There's judges who have off days. It's just like being, being the role, being, being fit, like my father always preached. Being, yep. being fit, being in shape. You're a part of the fight. Little do you know, you're, you're in the fight 
You're not, you're not in the scene, like my father said, in the scene, but on scene. Be there when you have to be there. You know, it's like, I know I spoke to you when we were in the theater. I said to you, if you're going to referee, have your pockets sewn, look the part, look clean, stay in shape. People like to see a fit referee, not a guy that's out of shape. Yep, that's definitely true. You know, being able to go in and, and break them up, voice command. You know, we go in the locker room before. Are you amateur or you, you, you do pro now too? So right now I just started amateur refereeing. Okay, well, see, in the amateurs you do go in and you talk to the guys. You don't go through the whole thing like we do in the middle of the ring. With you know, A lot of these guys get uh, – I'll never forget a woman from HBO told me, look, Arthur, you got to make your speech go longer. <laughs> And I said, listen, I've been doing this for 30-something years, young lady. I'm going to say what I always say. I expect a good, clean fight. Respect my commands at all times. Touch gloves, good luck. You get guys now that I'm going to call this here, it's low here. I'm going to call this here. You go through that in the locker room. When you're in the locker room, you you go over that with the, the fighters. Yeah. It's like I'll never forget when Lennox Lewis, I've been with Lennox Lewis three times. I did Lewis, Lewis. Lewis Mercer, that was the first one. Then Lewis Hollyfield, and then Lewis Grant. And the first time I was in there to give Lennox Lewis the rules, I went in. I said, "Listen, champ, you've been here. I just expect a good, clean fight, and let's have a good, clean fight." With that, I walk out and I hear him say to Emmanuel, "Who's this referee? He never. He he short and sweet. So all the guys read me a whole lot. They don't need that. He's fighting." He's fighting for a time. He's been there many times. He's had fights. You don't have to go in and make a whole big thing about it. It's just keeping keeping it clean and listen to my command at all times. And that's all I expect. You know, to get in the center of the ring and this is good here. This, I don't I don't agree with that. I just think you should say, evening, gentlemen. Both receive your rules early in the locker room. I expect a good, clean fight. Touch gloves and good luck to the both of you. Short and sweet to the point, like my father always did. Yep, definitely worked for both of you guys. And um, you know, since since you bring up Lewis versus Grant, I know that we have heavyweights nowadays that are bigger than each of them. Uh, but at the time, was it intimidating being third man in the ring with the two biggest heavyweights to ever square up against one another? Well, you know, like I said earlier, I worked out. I mean, when I knew that I got appointed. Lennox Lewis Hollyfield. I was getting up before going to my job, five in the morning, going to the gym, working out because I knew I'd have to be able to separate these two big guys. Yeah. And once, and once they feel a guy that's in shape and going to know that he can handle them, they respect respect that. Even to this day, Lennox Lewis always say, "You were one tough guy. How you separated me and Van? I just how you did it." But you know that's you got to go in, and they they respect you for that. Yeah, I mean Lennox Lewis, he doesn't let go easily either. <laughs> oh no, no, there was a, there was a lot a lot of times where he'd hold and I'd like give him a pat, go in and and separate, and he listened to commands too. One thing with heavyweights, everybody thinks that they're they're tough to work. I I prefer working with heavyweights. They, you know, you go in, you say break, they'll step back. Sometimes they won't. Like I said, Andrew Galata fight, where you know <laughs> you know what he's like. Yeah. But, you know, after he got used to me, when I said break, you know, first I tried doing voice commands. If you can't, it's like in the amateurs, as you know, 
You're not allowed to touch the fighters and the amateurs. It's all about voice commands. But try and do that at voice command. If not at the first voice command, then you go in and you got to separate them. Yep. And amateur boxing is evolving to appear more like professional fighting. Um, you're right. You do start with voice commands as an amateur, but now they allow you to touch the fighters and uh, and, and give uh, verbal commands instead of just always motioning your commands. So right. there is there is some work in the amateurs to make it more professional-like. Um, but that being said, uh, I mean, I, I agree that the amateurs still have a little bit of work in front of them to um, speak more like the professional realm of fighting. Uh, so I'll conclude this interview with asking you, what is the what is your favorite fight you ever worked? Favorite fight? Uh, it was it, it, well, it was Sugar Ray Leonard, Terry Norris, but it was it was kind of I I love growing up. I idolized Sugar Ray Leonard, and to see him in there, this young man is taking the you know. He went down in the second round, then went down in the tenth round. I, I kind of felt bad for him, and then he announced his retirement. But then six months later, he came out and fought Macho Camacho. Oh, he shouldn't have happened. Yeah, that that should no. He should have never fought Camacho when he fought Terry Norris. That should have. He made a whole big announcement. I'm retiring. This is my last fight. And then I guess he may have got a good money offer to fight Camacho. And he fought Camacho, and we know what the outcome was there. But that was one of my that was one of my moments being in the ring with Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, and he could still move back then. I mean, it was towards the end of his career, but he looked pretty sharp in the first few rounds. Oh yeah, he did. Well, second round he went down, and then he held on to go, and he, he, we went the distance. Yep. Aaron Norris, no slouch, excellent fighter. The only thing he's had a slightly weak chin, but very very good fighter. Oh yes, he was. I, I, back then, he was. You know, he was upcoming. Everybody, nobody wanted to really fight him, and he got a shot with Sugar Ray Leonard, and uh, you know, he, he beat Ray. But Ray was on his way out. He was probably forty or thirty-eight at the time when he fought him. I think I'm not sure. Yeah, I know he was uh, definitely getting up there in, in age, and I think he might have been inactive as well. Yeah. Uh, so that was the favorite fight you ever refereed. I, I'll just. I'll let you know what my favorite fight I ever saw you in was uh, the, the stance that you took when uh, the corner for Yuri Foreman was trying to stop the fight against his wishes against Miguel Cotto. And you pushed them out of the ring and you said you delegated that responsibility to Foreman who was fighting Sparta. And I, I, I really uh, took my hat off to to uh, your position you took there. And well, you, you agree with it in, in your way. And what I will say is I, I, what I didn't know at the time, like my father, because that's the one thing I must say. After I did that fight, a guy came up to me and said, "Listen, you may not know this young man, but your father did the same thing many, many years." Ago. And the guy was an old timer. He said, "What you did was right." I didn't know where the towel came from. Yes, so I, I caught the towel and threw it out. When I asked the cornermen, when they all jumped in the ring, I didn't throw the towel. Out. So that's when I went to your reform and said, "Son, what do you want to do?" I want to defend my title. Okay, everybody, get out the ring. But some yep. people, some people, as you probably read, didn't agree with that decision. Trying to say that McCanty was, you know, putting it on himself. I told the commission, look, I don't know where the towel came from. The cornerman said he didn't throw it in. A betting guy, because people don't understand it, there's only three people 
that could stop a fight here. And that's what I wound up explaining to the news, one of the newspaper reporters because he didn't know either. I said the commissioner, the doctor, and the referee. The corner man cannot. He, on advice from a corner, I could stop a fight. But then that's why when when uh, I, after I stopped it, I went to, he, I said, who did? The corner man said, I did. I'll tell you now. So I said, after, the, after I stopped it, because that's when I said, I'm going to keep a good eye on your boy. We don't know where to I'm going to keep a good eye. He wants to defend his title. I'm going to give him that chance. And then we took that one body shot from Cotto. I knew that was it, and that's when I stopped it. I didn't want to see him get hurt anymore than he was with it. He came into the ring when I was told with, with a bad, with the knee bad as it was. Yeah, he had the brace on. He had the brace on. So I'm like, well, why did they clear this guy to fight if he had a brace? If You know, a lot of these guys, what happened was maybe he didn't go to the weigh-in with that on or tell anybody, and the doctors know. So they let him get in with, with a bad knee, and, and he, he did try and fight to defend his title. I mean, I got to give him seven, seven rounds, and, uh, you know, with two of that, then after that, I stopped it in the ninth. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I definitely it – was, it was a pleasure to watch how you made sure that Foreman was going to – end on his own terms and not and not an anonymous towel that could have came from anywhere um, calling an end to a kid that was really fighting his heart out. Oh, he was. Uh, he, he was definitely there. You're right there. He was fighting his heart out. I mean, he was trying to defend himself. But, it, 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 I mean, Mikel Cotto was just unbelievable that night. I, I got to say that. He was he was sharp. The kid was in it with him for a little bit, but then Mikel just took over. Yeah. Terrific, terrific fighter. So uh, I hear he wants to fight again, though. I I wish he wouldn't. I would, you know. I I, I think he wants. He's. I think he has another fight coming. Somebody was telling me the other night because I saw him in the theater. It was yeah, very, yeah. it was very nice. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, it had me come down because Zab Judah was there too. So, <laughs> yeah, I saw him and Monty Barrett. Yeah, well, they they called they called Zab Judah up because uh, Mikel was standing on the stage, theater there. And they had me come come there too. They we took a nice picture as uh Mikel and myself and Zab Judah and I played both their hands. It was it was uh, very nice to see how afterwards how you know, fighters get a bad rap. It's how they really were friendly and polite to each other. You know, everybody thinks there's hate hate that there's there's no hate that you know. Boxers always show that in the ring, like Ali did with Frazier and then, you know, Ali took a to the limit with Frazier, and yeah. Joe didn't Joe didn't understand that Ali was trying to sell tickets, but then yeah. they made then they made up afterwards, and Ali had a, a compassion, Frazier had a compassion for him, and there there was no love, you know, there was there was there was love there. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, Miguel Cotto versus Zab Judo is a fight me and my dad saw when I was a kid. Um, we, we thought you did a very good job refereeing. You saw Judah on the ground rithering from that low blow, and you telling him, hey, you, you were a world champion at one time. And I think those were the words that you said, if I'm remembering correctly. And you just saw the compassion that you had for the fighter, as, you know, more than just a fighter who's been fouled, but for a respectful fighter who was doing his best to regain his composure in the fight. Yeah, he went down from a low blow, and then he wanted to stay down there. He said, you know, you can't win on a foul. Yeah. I, I said, look, Zab, 
I'm going to give you five minutes. You're a champion. Act like a champ. Because some of these guys will retaliate. Yeah. Like, I remember Zab did this. I, I referee, let me see. I referee Zab Judokota, Zab uh, Cloud. And I'll never forget that. I don't know if you remember that fight with Cloudy. I was a, yeah, it was a, a fight, but it was, while I was giving him the instructions, I don't know if you remember, Zab hit him in the groin. Oh, yeah, I think I do remember. That was very odd, what I saw yeah. there. And, sure I, I, mm-hmm. and I said, Zab, are you kidding me, Zab? I said, come on. <laughs> I could I could take a point away or I could just walk. Come on, let's stop. The, the bell didn't even ring, and he's getting dirty. So that's when I had him shake hands and, well, let's keep it clean from here. And that went on to be a hell of a – and that kid was some fighter, too. He he fought Toto, too, Cloudy. And that just about wraps it up for my interview with Arthur Mercanti Jr. Stay tuned for next week's edition of the Fight City Podcast. We had a great time and a great pleasure having you fight fans and – As always, we will be offering the latest and greatest in boxing news as well as a historical touch for both types of fight fans and also the complete fight fan on the Fight City Podcast. Stay tuned.